0: John Chapter Ten, John Chapter Ten, and I will begin reading at verse twenty two through verse thirty nine. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's word, John 10, beginning of verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me? But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him. But he escaped out of their hand. Let the blessing on this his word. For gracious God and Heavenly Father, we again rejoice and give thanks for the gift of your holy word. And as we consider uh, this glorious doctrine and a great mystery uh, this evening of the triune God, we just pray, Father, that you would give us understanding and insight to see what we can understand. Because there is much that we cannot understand. But we just thank you, Lord, that your Spirit will give us the understanding that we need uh, to uh, believe and to know who you are and to know how we might better serve and glorify your name. And so we ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the interesting things that we discover in the Gospels is that Jesus very rarely, plainly said that he was the Messiah. His disciples knew it. He told the Samaritan woman at the well, but he didn't publicly reveal it, at least not until his trial before the Sanhedrin, just before his death. In fact, in the case of the religious leaders, Jesus always either pointed them to the scriptures or to the works that he had done to answer their question about whether he was the Messiah. And certainly if they were diligent uh, students of the law, of the the scriptures, they certainly would have uh, witnessed his works and they would have seen in the light of prophecy how Jesus truly was. Who he claimed to be, but without a believing heart, we know that they would not believe and refuse to believe. Well, Jesus knew, again, certainly that if he would have just plainly told them that again he was that he was the Messiah, well, again they wouldn't have believed him because again they didn't believe the very scriptures that spoke of him, nor did they believe the works that he did, which he which testified of him, as he mentions here in, in John 10. And so in this passage, the religious leaders again ask pointedly, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Well, Jesus gives the very same response. Look at the works that I've done in the Father's name. And if you won't believe the works that you see, you certainly will not believe the What I say. But in this passage, Jesus does make one bold claim, and he makes it very plainly and very clearly for all to hear. He says in uh, verse 30 I and my Father are one. Now the Jews responded to this rather immediately with picking up stones because they were going to stone him. And Jesus says, why are you going to send me? I've been doing all these good works. What have I done wrong? And it's not because of the works that he's done. They say, you, being a man, have made yourself God. Once again, the truth spoken plainly, and yet they wouldn't believe. But they were right about this. The claim that Jesus made, that he and the Father are one could only be explained by Jesus claiming to be the very God. And so they had that right. He was claiming to be God, to be one with the Father. This passage in John's Gospel is just one of the many that we can turn to in order to see the truth of the divinity of Jesus Christ. That is, that though He was 100% man, He was also 100% God. And if we acknowledge that Jesus was God the Son well then we're well on our way to establishing the truth of the scriptures that though there is just but one God this one God exists in three persons Father, Son and Holy Spirit and this is the great and mysterious doctrine of the Trinity that our God is a triune God and this is what we're considering this evening the scriptures affirm this truth again clearly Again, it's a very difficult doctrine for us to fully understand and comprehend. How is it that one God is three persons? Or conversely, how is it, how could there be three persons be just one God? Well, To understand this, well, let's consider the word Trinity. A word which we must admit does not appear in the Bible at all. And certainly if the word Trinity, Trinity did appear in the Scriptures, well, it might have uh, been uh, uh, led to far less controversy over the centuries about this very doctrine uh, that we see in the pages of Scriptures. Though, again, as we've seen, even with the Jewish religious leaders, they had the Scriptures, and yet they still didn't believe. And so even if the word Trinity was in the Scriptures there would be those who would still not believe. Although we don't have the word Trinity in the Bible, we certainly, again, find evidence for this truth throughout the Scriptures in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we'll begin with the the assertion that there is but one God. And we read earlier in Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this was the confession of faith for the Jews about the doctrine of God, about uh, just... Uh, basic pure theology the doctrine of God that there was only one God and it was the God of Israel and this confession sets apart God as the one true living God in opposition to all the false gods that were worshipped by other nations gods that were made by the hands of men and the minds of men and so Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, shows us that God is the only God. But there's a unity also of the Godhead that's also being emphasized here. The Hebrew word here for God is uh, Elohim. Elohim is plural in number. Literally, it would be translated gods. But the Lord, and note again the small capital letters telling us that it's the covenant name of God, The Lord our God isn't many gods, but he's one. And we find this mystery, again, throughout the Old Testament, as it consistently uses the plural form form Elohim. The, The Spirit guided the writers of Scripture to use this plural form Elohim. And yet, when it refers to the Lord God, the accompanying verbs are all singular forms, instead of the plurals that we might expect. And so it would be like saying, we is, instead of we are. But the we in this case, Elohim, is one. Now a big clue for the Trinity, right there in the very word, God. Now, the New Testament stresses the oneness of God as well. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 says, Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols... We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. And even noting there that what is said of God is said also of Christ. But the point of this is that there are many false gods, as Paul is saying, and there are many things, beings or people, that are worshipped as gods. But there is only one true God. And again, if we consider the attributes of God, that God is infinite, there can really only be one infinite being. Well, throughout church history, there have been a variety of heresies uh, regarding the unity or the oneness of God. God. One such heresy would be Unitarians. Uh, Unitarians emphasize the oneness of God, but they, of course, would deny the Trinity. That's the, the they would deny the divinity of Jesus and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses are Unitarians in that they assert Jesus is a created being, and the Holy Spirit is simply a name for God's power. They emphasize the oneness. But they deny the distinct persons. And then you have polytheists. They go to the other extreme, claiming that there are many gods. And we can think of the various gods of Greek and Roman mythology. Well, popular group today, the Mormons are basically polytheists. Because they believe that there is more than one being called God. In fact, they say that ultimately we all would become, will become gods. But they deny that these different gods have one identical essence or substance of being. That they're all very different. But the Bible is very clear. And again, though it never uses the term Trinity, it teaches that there is a tri a three-in-one, three persons, yet one God. Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 2, paragraph 3, states this, In the unity of the Godhead there be three persons of one substance, power and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God is three persons in one essence. Here are some significant passages that reveal this triunity. And perhaps one of the more foundational ones we find in Matthew 28 Uh, Verse 19, part of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And again, we looked at this several weeks ago. One name, singular, and yet three persons are represented by that one name. And those three persons are all distinct from one another. The Father, it's the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All those three persons are tied to that one name. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. But we can also go back to the beginning. Uh, back in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Well here verse we mentioned before. The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. A plural form. But again it's, all, it's understood here as singular. One God. Because for example verse 27. God created man in his own image. Not in their own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female. But then God also says here, let us make man in our image. Well, who is included in the us and the our? Some think it was the angels, but it couldn't be the angels because the angels were also creations of God. And certainly the angels were not created in the image of God, nor was man created in the image of the angels. The use of the plural there, of us and our, is points us toward the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we know, again from the New Testament, that the the uh, the Son and the Spirit. And we'll look at this as well later. Uh, were there even at the time of creation? Another important passage is First John five seven. Now some. Uh, there's a little, little controversy about this verse it's very very clear, very direct uh but there's some textual issues that some uh want to make a big deal of saying that it's not found in certain ancient manuscripts, but it is a verse that has been widely accepted as authentic, and so it certainly shouldn't be should be included uh, in the scriptures, but again, the doctrine of the Trinity does not hinge on this one verse there are many other places we can go to but this one is is a good verse first john 5 7 for there are three that bear witness in heaven the father the word and the holy spirit and these three are one the word being another name for god the son even jesus who was the word of god come in the flesh and so before we had jesus saying I and the Father are one, and here John is recording that the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. Well, there are also many passages that mention all three persons in close proximity that lead you to believe that there is, at the very least, a very close relationship between those three persons, and these are found throughout the Scriptures but are very prominent in, in various benedictions. And so one that would be, well, the two that are familiar... But you, beloved, from Jude 1, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so you have each person of the Godhead mentioned here in very close connection uh, that all these blessings truly flow from them was well, a confession also made clear that each person of the Godhead is God and are of the same substance, power, and eternity. that is, the characteristics we ascribe to God are equally ascribed to all three persons, and in this light, we should understand that God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are equally are equally to be worshipped uh, by angels and men. That's the wording of the testimony. When we gather together for worship, we know that we are gathering to worship the triune God. Now to this point we know that God the Father is God. That's usually uh, not necessarily... Uh, Something that's up for up for debate. Many would say yes. God is God. The Father is God. Uh, Malachi two. Have you, we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Again, the Father being connected to God. And then Paul in First Corinthians one says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." So they're saying very clearly that God is our Father. But we also see passages that clearly teach that Jesus. The Son is also God. Here we go first to Isaiah 9, verse 6. A familiar verse that we know speaks of the birth of Christ, the prophetic, the prophecy of Christ's birth. The prophet says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So here, first note that a child will be born, a son, but the son will be called not just eternal father, but also mighty God. And so this, again, points us to the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a passage similar to what we read in John 10, Jesus had on an earlier occasion, uh, Occasion had a confrontation with the religious leaders in John 5. He says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So there he was saying, even just the very fact that he was calling God his Father in a very personal, intimate way, they were making this connection rightly. That he was claiming to be have this unity with the Father, and of course, as we saw then later in John 10, they knew exactly the claim that he was making. And there, he even said it even more explicitly in John 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I uh, was." I am. Now here, Jesus uses the the distinct language of the name of God, which he revealed to. Uh, Moses in Exodus 3, when uh, Moses, the Lord met Moses in the burning bush. And he said, I am, I am that I am. And instead of saying, though, no, Jesus, instead of saying, before Abraham was, I was. He uses the name of God. And by doing so, he identifies himself with it. Before Abraham was, I am. He was using the name of God. And then we go back to John one. 1. Another important passage in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John, of course, goes on to speak about how, how all creation was made through the Word, showing us the connection between Genesis 1, 1-3, that God the Son, Jesus the Word, spoke, and all things came into being. And then, of course, John one 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, telling us that this was Christ. So the divinity of Jesus was also revealed, though, by the miracles that he did uh, and the fact that he received worship and didn't rebuke the disciples for for idolatry. And this is what we looked at here in John 10. He was doing these miracles, but they weren't believing those miracles, even though those miracles testified of who he truly was, not just the Messiah, but even the very Son of God. And, of course, on occasions, uh, the disciples would worship Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus never rebuked them. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that Jesus is God, uh, you point out the passages, even in their corrupt uh, watchtower version of the Bible, uh, you can point to passages where the disciples are worshipping Jesus, and you can say, look, Jesus must be leading these disciples astray because he's allowing them to violate the very first commandment. He's not rebuking them for worshiping him. And that is because he was the son of God. And he then, therefore, because he was God, he could receive that worship and did not have to rebuke the disciples. By the way, that gets the Jehovah's Witnesses all discombobulated. They don't like to think about... They they revere Jesus as a great prophet. And to think that Jesus would point lead the disciples into idolatry is just beyond their comprehension but that's exactly what you would have to uh, believe if you had their position and denied the divinity of Jesus. Well there are also many passages which, passages which show us that the holy spirit is god as well. In Genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without Form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so here again, we see the Spirit of God is there in, uh, at the time of creation, even as God the Father and Jesus as the Son of God, the Word of God, was also there in the beginning. And then another interesting passage is in Acts 5 <clears throat> with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own was it not in your own control? Why have you con- conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so here Peter is uh, telling Ananias, Look, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, you've also lied to God. Peter's using Holy Spirit and God interchangeably, that Ananias has lied to the triune God. Although these three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one, we know also that they are truly distinct persons and different in their personal properties, as the confession goes on to state that the Father is one, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now the differences in the persons can be seen in their works. That is, they each perform a different task for a certain purpose, and yet they remain the same in substance. In performing their works, there is also an economic difference. That is, one person's function may be above or subordinate to another. And so the Father works through the Son, and the Son is the agent of the Father. Again, we look at the account of creation, uh, and uh, we see uh, how this works out. In Hebrews 1 verse 2, we see that God in these last days has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. And so there we see uh, God the Father, through the Son, creating all things, the spoken word, God has brought reconciliation between He and mankind through the Son. Uh, Paul mentions that in Romans five. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the, the uh, purpose of the Son of God uh, to come in the flesh uh, to take on uh, that uh, judgment that we endure that we deserved, so that we might have reconciliation with God. And it's also Uh, through the Son that God will judge the world. Romans 2, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And so Jesus the Son is the instrument of God the Father. The Son is sent by the Father and is in submission to Him. Uh, John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And so here Jesus, as the Son of God come in the flesh... In his humanity, he's submitting to the will of God. And of course, in Matthew 26, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from, from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There again, Jesus, the Son, submitting himself to the will of the Father. And the Father is also greater than the Son, In John 14, if you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Jesus plainly says the Father is greater than he. You also know that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. In John 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things which I said to you. And then just a little bit later in John 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So first he says that the Father will send in in his name. And here, then he says that I will send you from the Father, the Holy Spirit. So each person of the Godhead is distinct from one another, and there again, there's this economic submission based on the functions of each. But they are one and the same God, and their being is of the same substance, power, and glory. Again, the RP Testimony, chapter 3, paragraph 5, says "We, we reject any teaching which subordinates any person of the Godhead as to substance, power, or glory. Now, some heretical teachings... Regarding the persons of the Godhead are are these. There's modalism modalism says that God was one person but kind of played or was manifested in different persons at different times and never more than one person at a time but of course to refute this we simply need to go to the account of Jesus' baptism in Mark 1 immediately coming up out of the water He saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. So you have the son being baptized. You have the spirit coming as a dove. And then you have the voice of the father coming down from heaven. And so all three persons of the Godhead appearing at the same time. That's modalism. Or modalism uh, says they, they can't do that. Uh, That it's only God the Father at one time, and then He changes into God the Son, and then He changes into God the Holy Spirit. So the Scriptures clearly reject modalism. Well, subordinationism, which is common to hear even in evangelical circles today, asserts that God the Father is greater than the Son or Spirit in essence, meaning that they are not equal in power or glory. Though, as we've said, it's true that there is an economic difference there uh, as, as related to their roles and their function. There is no difference in substance, power, or glory. They are one and the same. Now, some fall into this erroneous teaching when they try to root the relationship of the husband and wife, or even just men and women in general, to the inner Trinitarian relationship, the so-called eternal submission of the Son is a denial of the same in substance concept of each person of the Godhead. And ultimately then it becomes an assault on the doctrine of the Trinity and therefore ought to be rejected. Well, there are, of course, many other popular corruptions of the Trinity or the persons of the Godhead. There was a popular book, came out a few years ago and then was later made into a movie, uh, The Shack, and this portrayed the three persons of the Trinity as the father, who was called Papa, but who appeared in the book as an old grandmotherly type. And then there was the son, who was kind of a carefree, sort of a, I don't know, hippie granola type person. And, uh, and then, of course, there was the Holy Spirit, who was simply a force. And uh, this book was very, again, was very popular, and the movie uh, was popular, and uh, we have to always be wear- be wary of these things because they present a false view of God and the Trinity and they ultimately push people further away from the truth. And uh, they're not really worth uh, bothering with at all, but people do get caught up with them. Well, similar to this are the various attempts to try and explain the Trinity using a variety of illustrations, maybe water, steam, and ice, or the parts of an egg, or even St. Patrick's clover leaf. Well, these all fail because the doctrine of the Trinity, though it's true and though it's found in the scriptures, is ultimately a great mystery. So, how do we know the Trinity if it's such a great mystery? Well, it's impossible. To come to knowledge of the Trinity outside the special revelation of God, that is, His Word and the Holy Spirit working through His Word, producing faith in us and giving us understanding and insight. The RP Testimony, chapter 2, paragraph 4, adds this, The doctrine of the Trinity is knowable only by special revelation. It is not possible for an explanation or comparison from any other source to serve as a true representation of this doctrine. And so all these different illustrations, they all fail in one way or another, and so they're better off you're better off not using them at all. And so Isaiah in relation to this, Isaiah forty verse eighteen, the prophet asks these questions: To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Well, the implied answer is, of course, nothing. We can liken nothing to God. We can compare him to nothing. Because we're finite, and God is infinite. And we can't fully explain all that God is because of these limitations. But we can be thankful and rejoice for what we do know. And we can certainly praise God that he has revealed this to us in his word, this Great truth of the trinity even though it's a mystery even though we don't fully understand it god has been pleased to reveal it to us so that we might know him truly and so that we might know him even more deeply let's pray O oh, gracious god in heaven we rejoice and give thanks to you for the truth of your word and what it reveals to us even the great mysteries of your word that you leave us all these clues to help us to understand your truth for as much as we're able to, at least, because we are but finite creatures, and you are the infinite, glorious God. And so, Father, we just praise you and thank you that you have revealed these things to us. We know that there are many corruptions in the world, many attacks upon this wonderful doctrine, but it is a great blessing to us, and we ask that you would help us to uh, understand it better as best as we're able given our limitations and that we would truly seek to always be a witness to you and be able to give an answer and response to those who may try to contradict. And so we just ask for your blessing upon us in these things. Again, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us this one day in 7 that we can rest from our usual labors that we can gather together here with your people, to worship and to fellowship with one another. And we just praise you and thank you, Lord, that you continue to be with us and watch over us. And Father, we just continue to ask that you would have your hand upon uh, Jessica and that you would bring great relief to the pain she's experiencing. We pray for Tristan's grandmother who's tested positive for COVID and uh, his brother also. And just pray, Lord, that you would especially help his sister Marianne as she seeks to minister to those. And we just ask that you would just bring healing and comfort there. Again, we thank you, Lord, for all these things. And we ask that as we go about the week that lies ahead, that we would always be mindful of you and how we can serve you and how we can glorify your name in all that we do throughout this week until we turn again on the next Lord's Day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.